Right, hello strangers and welcome to episode 31. Is that correct, Pete? Is it episode 31? It's episode 31, Paul. It is I'm going to keep giving you grief on this for a while now. Because nah. that episode weeks ago, only weeks ago this time round though, you got the episode number wrong, didn't you? You were in a party of one, who cares? Um, yeah, <laughs> episode 31 this week, we're now weekly. We've been consecutively weekly for the last, what, two or three weeks, I exactly, guess? Exactly, yeah. So <laughs> proud of us, also, by doing that, it gives us a chance to give ourselves credit for doing something we probably should have done months ago in all fairness maybe that fills the, up a bit of running time so yeah maybe that's the credit section for this week we give ourselves credit for actually doing a thing for an hour each week more importantly mr wall how are you i'm i'm not too bad uh, paul i've had a good week generally uh, a sort of a weirdly lopsided week in terms of films where i've caught up with everything at the end of the week and seen nothing for about five days straight well, i've managed how, to space, space mine out a bit this been? week but i've had i've had a good week really so yeah i'm glad we had this inane chat live on air about how that's the kind been, of natural but... banter that we're going for because paul and i were saying off air that what we often do when we get together for these is we have a sort of high velocity conversation for half an hour at which point we've exhausted all of our sort of energy and then we get on the mic and we go like Let's talk about films then, I suppose. And we start doing the regular bits of the show. So, yeah, we forced in that little bit of banter there. That was that was nice. We have. I, I enjoyed that myself. I thought it was a good one-two combo there. You've, you've come at me pretty it's weird, quickly. But... It's weird, Paul, because off-air, you're like my friend. But when we come on this, you become oh, like a like, stranger. Exactly. Oh, like a stranger, perhaps, in a cinema, yeah. what one would say. Which is terrible for making an entertaining show, but good for tying into our names. It so. is, yes. And basically what we've done there, in by having that little uh, bit of witty banter between the two of us, what we've done is make up for the time we would normally take to explain the uh, structure of the show. Shall I explain so, the structure of the show? Because I like doing that. Do you want to do it just maybe just for one last time? Yeah, the structure of the show for you new people joining in with this situation is that we take a trip through the cinema, we start off at the popcorn counter, at which point Paul and I will share a couple of films each that we've seen in the last week or two that we think are worth talking about. Then we'll get into a preview section that we call Coming Attractions. In that section, we will preview some films that are coming up in the next two or three weeks. Uh, well, we're restricting it to as small a frame as we can, but yeah, two yeah. or three weeks, something like that. Then we get into features. This week, we have two features for you. We have, Paul? We have Loving, uh, Jeff Nichols' latest output, and John Wick Chapter 2, which I'm very excited to talk about. Yeah, I think we did a, bit, a little preview on John Wick Chapter 2 at some point, probably, or just got excited about it in general, and then loving something that's been Oscar-tipped and we've been looking forward to for a bit, and we haven't had the release until now. Um, after that, we'll have our usual credit section, in which we give credit to something that we each think was good, or is good in general, relates to the film world in, in some way. And finally, we'll wrap things up for the week um, with a new little feature. We're doing a new little thing at the end, but that's exciting, and we'll keep that till then. Yes, um, be, be excited about that one I think for now Paul popcorn movies you are going to your friend at the popcorn counter we've met him before today <laughs> he's looking particularly disillusioned he's staring into the middle distance and he's thinking about how taking that job at that cinema was one of the worst decisions of his life you're going to brighten his day with a bit of a bit of your you know smiling face and trademark banter and you're also going to purchase uh, some popcorn what kind of popcorn is it what i don't even know if we're still doing that popcorn i don't think we are no i'm just wondering for the listeners at home when at which point you're going to wrap up this sentence as well I, I like your description about the guy behind the popcorn counter but um i think it's gone on a while to be honest we'll, we'll get in there paul <laughs> tell me what in the hell you've been watching of late well, I, there's a couple this week that, that kind of spring to mind. I think the first one I wanted to talk about is um, John Michael McDonough's War on Everyone, 
Um, now, I'm a big fan of this director. He previously directed The Guard and Calvary, which I think we both quite enjoyed. I haven't seen Calvary, I've seen The Guard. I okay. like it. I don't love it. I like it. But um, yeah. Which has got, I believe, Alexander Sarsgaard and Michael Pena, is it? Is that how you pronounce his name? Pena? 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 Pena possibly Pena. I think that's probably a more accurate description of it. But, you know, my pronunciation is terrible on these things. Um, basically, they play two uh, very corrupt police officers um, who get embroiled in... Uh, get embroiled in the sort of criminal underworld and without spoiling the and and it's about how they go taken down this crime lord really but the reason I'm being so vague on the plot is because one of the reasons the film I think works quite well is because it doesn't really reveal the plot as and doesn't really you as the audience only learn the plot as the characters learn it so to actually reveal everything that's going on kind of takes away a lot from bothering to watch it to be perfectly honest um it's a very very black comedy as his previous films have been um and thankfully for me anyway very funny throughout certainly not for the easily offended uh, i think the two leads have got superb chemistry and i think it's it's certainly up there with with his best films. Um, there's a lot of Tarantino comparisons floating around about John Michael McDonough, mm. and I think they're they're fair. And I would say for me, he probably is a superior filmmaker to Tarantino. Um, is this the guy whose brother directed in Bruges? Is that um, yes? I often yeah. confuse the two, so I had to be very. I was very aware. But they've got a, a similar sort of stylistic. They do make they do make uh, similar films. You, you'd be forgiven for thinking that you know that those, the films are directed by the, the same person, but no, this is the guy responsible for certainly the Guard and Calvary. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of fun if you're into that kind of thing. As I said, not for the faint-hearted. Not everyone will like it, but if you like the director's previous films and are a fan of Tarantino, then certainly yeah, check this one out. So. And the title again. Uh, War on Everyone. War on Everyone, yeah, I haven't caught up with it yet, so we'll do. Um, first for me this week is a film from actually a couple of years ago called Faults. Um, this was directed by Riley Stearns and stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is in fact his wife in real life. Uh, Riley Stearns is a young film director who's been incredibly prolific for someone of, of his age. I think he's in his early 30s. Um, this one tells the story of a girl in Mary Elizabeth Winstead who has been in a cult and is now being deprogrammed by a specialist in debunking um, the myth of uh, perpetrated by people who run cults I suppose and, and works sort of mind control on, on the people who join. Um, he's played by an actor called Leyland Orser who I think is probably the standout performance in this thing. He's where would I where would I know from? Have I seen? Um, I can find a, a list of stuff. He's got a sort of rec recognizable face, but off the top of my head, I'm stuck. Uh, Taken, uh, Independence Day, Seven. Oh, the uh, the guest. Oh, okay. So I, f I forget the role in the guest, but that was a film we we liked a lot. Um, fairly big stuff, but as a sort of peripheral player yeah. or, or character actor in those things. But yeah, really strong here. Um, yeah, he plays a guy who's sort of at his wit's end because he's got to do this job of deprogramming this girl. She's locked away in a little motel. She gets to stay in one room whilst her two parents, uh, played by, I forget the, the, the male actor, but the female actor is Beth Grant, who we saw in Jackie recently yeah. as the, uh, the wife of the incoming president after JFK. And um, she's also the one that we know from, you know, I'm beginning to question your commitment to Sparkle Vision from, from Donnie Darko. Yeah. Um, so she's great. Love her uh, in all she does. The film... Um, yeah, puts this guy at his wits end. He is struggling personally. He's having a kind of existential crisis, not unlike what we've seen in things like Anomalisa recently, let's yeah. say, where he goes to do a presentation in front of a group of people. He's sort of dying on the inside, but needs to be outwardly confident. Um, I think it works because I'm interested in things about this kind of topic, you know, films that are about 
cult. Uh, Martha, Martha must be. I was going to say, how, you know, my question would have been how, you know, how does it compare to that kind but, of thing? And... But unlike a film like that, we don't spend time with the cult. We don't really get to know much about the cult. And in fact, we start to feel that the story that we're getting out of Mary Elizabeth Winstead may be a little bit different from the reality let's say uh, there are a couple of twists that come towards the end whether you go with them or not I think depends how much faith you've put in this young director it's an interesting thing um, I wouldn't say that it's you know one of the best films I've seen maybe this year but it's certainly interesting and you can find it streaming at the moment so that one was 2014's Faults yeah, so that sound, does sound fairly interesting actually I think I'll give that give that a go myself um, which brings me to a film that, again, was talking, saying on the subject of interesting, this is one that I was very intrigued by. Uh, this is a recent cinema release, uh, The Great Wall, by, I'm going to try and say his name, Zhang Yimou. Is that, is that a Zhang decent, Yimou, Zhang is that Yimou, decent yeah, approximation? I think that's as best as my, uh, best as my uh, English tongue is going to wrap around that name, to be perfectly honest. The Great honest. Wall is a biopic um, of my life, though, right? Yes, The, yeah. great, the great Wall, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so this is the uh, highly anticipated, I would say highly anticipated personally, kind of east-west mashup with the, the guy, the director of Directed Hero, uh, House of Flying Daggers, those those kind of films, um, starring Matt Damon. And I think what I and a lot of other people were hoping for was kind of his his sensibility, his visuals with the kind of like the best of Hollywood, really. Um, what we get is an interesting, if not entirely successful, east-west mashup. Um, it looks great. And some of the set pieces are entertaining. Um, the downside is the script isn't great. Uh, the plot is just a sort of just crappy CGI monster movie kind of fare. Uh, What's the the sort of setup here? So the setup basically is the Great Wall of China. The, the, some two sort of Western mercenaries, um, Matt Damon and the guy from Game of Thrones and Narcos, who I've completely forgotten his name now, Pedro. Right. Pascal, I think, might be his we'll name. We'll go with that. Um, they arrive at the Great Wall in search of gunpowder, and it turns out the Great Walls, the Great Wall of China, has been built to keep out some monsters that landed in asteroids sort of thousands of years ago. Um, okay. And there's like this secret Chinese army operating to defend the very close to documentary to the world. Oh, it's absolutely yeah. historical documentary. Yeah. So the it's it's as I said, the plot is absolute clag, <laughs> yeah. for want of a better word. Um, yeah, I don't know where that word came from. I've never heard the word clag in my entire not, life, but I'm word, taking it. it? Yeah, I'm you, you it can use that. You can use clag. You can use clag for this me. This film was um, so bad that you invented a new word. I wouldn't say it. it was so bad. Like, it, it's as I said because because of the because of the director's pedigree, like it does look fantastic in some of the set yeah. pieces there. Matt Damon, to be honest, I don't know what accent he was doing. Um, anyone who knows me knows, obviously, I'm capable of doing all of the accents, but I obviously won't subject people to them on the podcast. Um, but I don't know what accent uh, Matt Damon was doing at all it varies from Irish to possibly South African to I, I don't know what's going on with this performance to be honest um, it rates as, as a disappointment to, to be frank yeah um, it's not without merit but it is a huge missed opportunity um, would you say I mean this comes up a, a fair bit with films that we feature on here is it the kind of thing that if you're going to see it you may as well catch it in a cinema because from what you're saying about Zhang Yimou's, um, you know, the art direction and the, and the the scale of these kinds of films, is it going to lose a lot when it's on a smaller screen? I think if you if you are going to see it, yes, certainly watch it at the cinema. Um, that's that's the best way to see it on the biggest screen possible. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't say, for example, see it above. John Wick 2 if you've got a choice of what to see at the cinema for Right, and we'll get on to that one yeah. in, in just a little bit. Okay, to wrap up the popcorn section this week, um, I've got ah, a film that I caught up with which is uh, 
yeah, it's making me quite happy just thinking back on it. It's yeah, I'm glad to hear that, D- Pete. Disney's Moana. Now, uh, oh, this is supposed to be very good. Turns out, Paul, it has gone right up there with um, Lilo and Stitch, which I think is one of my favourite Disney films of recent times. Um, and coincidentally, both set in and around Hawaii. Okay. Um, this one, I'm told, is directed by or co-directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, for those who care, which I think is not many people. Um, the cast, really, the standout in this cast, is, or the, the most credit, I suppose, has got to be given to the, the girl who plays the lead. She's called Auli Cravalho, and she's a 16-year-old actress, um, little known or not involved in too many huge projects before this one, but is incredible in this, to the extent that when I looked it up, I assumed I would find, you know, a, an A-list Hollywood actress had taken that, that voice part. So what's the, what's the premise of this then? If it's set in around Hawaii, um, I know, I've seen, I think I've seen half a trailer, so I know very mm. little about it. So, so, so the idea is that Moana is on a small island, um, a Polynesian island, and she wants to explore the world. But she's told by her father that we don't go off the island. And in fact, if we go into the sea at all, we never go beyond the reef. And there's a reef on the horizon, and if you go past there, bad things will happen. A bit like in The Lion King, when Simba's told not to go to the dark lands or whatever, right? Um, Of course, she is compelled by her own spirit and youth to go further and to push those boundaries. And she talks a lot with her grandmother, who's very, very caring um, and sort of inspirational figure in the film, the early part of the film, who says to her, you need to find out who you are and what you're about and what you where you fit in this world. So her grandmother plays this important role in propelling her along a path that you know is going to take her to explore places she shouldn't explore. Now, obviously, this ties into the theme of the film, which is all about young people, and in this case, particularly young women, mm. um, Yeah, pushing boundaries, getting to know themselves, and really independently taking on challenges which i think has got to be to the film's eternal credit that in this movie there is no love interest she's not pursuing a love interest she's not pursued by a love interest in fact the film is not interested in that at large this is all about takes his cues from frozen on that basis then there's kind of yes although in frozen she is kind of you know that that climactic moment with the big song getting prettier and looking like a typical princess and wearing makeup and all that kind of stuff there's none of that here I mean she you know the animated character is well presented but it's not about you know validating yourself through through so progressive Disney and that kind of thing well I mean it's a load of stolen mythology from some place that has little to do with with Disney but you know we take for granted that's going to happen in Disney movies we've also got to mention or I've got to mention here uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is in it Um, yes he plays a demigod (laughs) <laughs> um, that she she needs to go and find him in order to um, bring p- peace back to the place in which they live uh, and he has a lot of fun we see the people's eyebrow first time his animated characters on screen which is uh, pretty Good. fantastic yeah. oh, no, no issues in the people's he, eyebrows first. he has a magic staff which allows him to turn <laughs> into various different animals including an eagle which is wonderful uh, there's a section where they encounter a pirate ship populated purely by coconuts the coconuts are evil coconuts and they've got knives and swords and it's wonderful. They travel with a really stupid chicken called Hey Hey. Okay. And chicken, uh, the chicken Hey Hey uh, just, just doesn't know like how to figure out even the most rudimentary of challenges or tasks. So yeah, so much fun to be had with Moana. I smiled from beginning to end pretty much and really one of the best Disney films I've seen in a long, long time. So a big recommend from me on that one. Good, good news. Well, that wraps up popcorn movies for this week which brings us neatly to coming attractions 
Um, should I make a start and come in attractions? Does that work with you, Pete? If I yeah, like get throw into it in there. So I'm, as people who know me will tell you, I've always been quite a big fan of a certain Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger. So any film that he returns to will normally catch my attention. Now the quality of his work has been, you know, up and down over the years, shall we say? Um, now this one I think will interest you as well, Pete, because not only has he got Arnold Schwarzenegger in, but it also has got, uh, and I'm going to steal your phrase here your boy Scoop McNary in it. Okay. And I know you're a big fan of Scoop McNary. So to set the scene of the Aftermath trailer, um, a Arnold Schwarzenegger appears to play a husband who loses his wife and daughter in a plane crash, and it looks like Scoop McNary's air traffic controller is responsible for this. Scoop wouldn't have done anything wrong. Big Come mistake, on. Scoop McNary. Now, what it does say is inspired by true events. Now, I'm going to say a film with Arnold Schwarzenegger in, if he's going after revenge for his family... Uh, will probably be loosely bet, loosely inspired by loose events. It does look quite pared back. It doesn't look like the kind of over-the-top thing he's got a reputation for doing. It feels a bit more like... It feels like it may be more gritty, a bit like Maggie, um, which I rather enjoyed, which came out, I think, the year before last, maybe even earlier than that. Uh, it feels more pared down. It looks like Schwarzenegger's actually trying to act. Um, I'm quite intrigued. I've always quite like... Much like yourself, I've always been quite a big fan of Scoot Maneri. I think he's quite yeah, underrated. He, he's but. one of those actors, I think, if he's signed on to it, then you would have fair confidence that it's not a terrible movie. Except I mean, for... What was he? Oh, wasn't he in Batman vs Superman, Pete? Yes. There's, there's some good <laughs> stuff in Batman vs Superman, but yeah, touche. That's a, that's, a, that's a good call. But yeah, so Aftermath. Check out the trailer. It's up at the moment, and I believe is out possibly in the next month or so, I think. So I've gone outside a little bit outside of that release window again. But what's your uh, coming attraction for this week? Um, yeah, mine for this week, Paul, is is uh, maybe a slightly frustrating one for the listeners because it's one that you're going to have to look up on VOD because it's not, as far as I'm aware, not going to get a wide release. It'll be very limited. It might be in London and other major cities. Okay. The name of this this thing I should get to anyway is, is Tower. Um, Tower came out stateside last year, uh, got a bit of reward uh, awards uh, buzz. And um, if I just read the setup, I mean, I think that'll make it clearer than I will otherwise. Uh, on August the 1st, 1966, a sniper rode the elevator to the, to the top floor of the University of Texas Tower and opened fire, holding the campus hostage for 96 minutes. When the gunshots were finally silenced, the toll included 16 dead, three dozen wounded, and a shaken nation left trying to understand. Um, it's a documentary. It's about a thing that really happened, obviously a horrendous uh, moment in history, which I honestly, coming in, previously not aware of. No. Um, Maybe it's because well, there's been so many shootings in the US of right. that we've become... We've grown up, yeah, we've grown yeah. up seeing, you know, all these kind of Virginia Tech and Columbine mm. and all these things reported. Um, yeah, this thing, like I say, has got quite a bit of buzz. Um, it's going to be an intense watch, it's going to be a difficult one, a tough one, but really a documentary that I think is worth seeking out on, on video on demand or your streaming service or whatever it might be, because the general release date that we've got here I think is a, two weeks away. But I would be amazed if it got wider than about London. So. Yeah, maybe at a push Bristol or those kind of size cities. But yeah. even then, I think you might you might struggle to see that. But yeah, obviously it's an upcoming attraction. I haven't seen it. Paul hasn't seen it. But we're going to search it out. And if we get the chance to and other people haven't, then we'll obviously come back with a review in, in due course. Yes, we'll do our best to find that, I think. So um, wish us luck. <laughs> so let's uh, let's sashay our way into the screening. Uh, oh, I suppose we're already in the screening. We're already we're sat in the cinema. Have you been to the cinema this, before? This, this, I'm, this not, I'm not sure. I think, I think you may have been to the cinema before. And obviously, once the trailers are playing, you are in the cinema already. So Sometimes I'm not, man. I've timed it so that if you go about 20, 
27 minutes before the scheduled time you miss everything and then you just get the title card and just as a, as a side note also um, when I go to the cinema I, I know I know there is this gap between and there is the trailers and there is the adverts but honestly sometimes when we go to the cinema together my frustration with Pete I know he does this. I just like to be at the cinema on time. Yeah. I know I don't need to be. Yeah, but he can you see. You know, he knows it puts me on edge. I'm sure he does it deliberately. But <laughs> <laughs> I just I feel such satisfaction when I sit down in my seat and the film I've gone to see just starts just playing. Starts, it's yes. a wonderful yes. thing. Anyway, getting two features. Then we're settled in those chairs. Um, I've arrived late. Paul arrived on time. What are we going to see or review or re-see here? We are going to start, I think, this week with uh, Loving uh, by director Jeff Nichols, who I think we're both quite big fans of, to be perfectly honest. Although I think I enjoyed Midnight Special, which I believe was his last film. I did it more is, than you it, did, it was, but, yeah. But we're not here to talk about Midnight Special. Yeah, so. I mean, this was our, our sort of slight divide on Jeff Nichols, I think, because mm. I was a bit lukewarm and, and you really liked it. But um, this is a new chance for Jeff Nichols to re-establish himself with me and to sort of continue to prove himself to be so popular with Paul. Um, the setup to loving, the setup to loving, um, it is based on a true couple, isn't it? Unless I'm otherwise mistaken. It is, mistaken. yeah, and a, and a couple who are actually called the Lovings, yes. believe it or not. Yes. So the the title, although it seems heavy-handed, um, it does does certainly have dual meaning. Um, so the the premise of it is is um, a young couple played by Joel Egerton and Ruth, Ruth Negger. Um, are living in a state of is it Virginia? It's Virginia, yeah. It it's Virginia, it's nineteen fifty eight, Virginia. So it's just before the events that we saw in, for example, uh, Hidden Figures, yes, which was nineteen sixty two, or again a little bit before the events that we saw in Jackie, which was was recent. So Joel Egerton's character decides that Mister Loving, for want of a better, <laughs> for want of a better John name for him, John Loving, I yes, think his name, yeah. uh, decides that he wants to marry his his, his long term girlfriend, as you know, as as he's entitled to do so. Uh, but because they're a mixed race couple, he has has to leave they have to leave the state and go to washington dc i think or washington state to do so mm. uh they then move back to their home state of virginia and find themselves repeatedly arrested and harassed threatened with jail unless they leave the state for 25 well, yeah. years well yes exactly they're given a, a plea bargain here which, which is, is insane you, you can either take a year uh no you can either take five years in jail now or you can take a suspended sentence of one year uh, on the condition that you leave the state of Virginia for 25 years. Yeah. Unbelievable because it's wrenching them apart from all their family members yeah. that are established in that community. However, they can go back and visit as long as they don't go back and visit together, which creates its own own drama yeah. around the, the pair, obviously. What did you think? What did you think, Paul? Because, yeah, we've set this up, um, I think, from the, the traders and things that have been fairly... Um, widely populated um, widely populated what does that mean <laughs> I don't know Pete I don't know widely screened widely propagated propagated that's yeah. a better word for that um, yeah what did you think of this thing and by the way Richard Loving is his name and Mildred his wife so okay. forget about John he's a made up character so what did I think I think I, overall I really I really like the film I think it's um, I think wonderfully understated would be my uh, would be probably my buzzword of, of any review um, again it kind of it, 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 it's the kind of issue that is a very emotive issue and I think that the two performances from the leads Joel Edgerton I think will go down as probably one of the most underrated actors of our generation I think he's consistently good at everything that he does but don't you think um, this is going to be the turning point where it doesn't become valid to say he's underrated anymore because I think he's just going to end up being rated after this isn't or he? maybe underappreciated then because if you notice and Ruth, Ruth Nagger's got the Oscar nomination I think he's got an Oscar nomination for this um, yes, and I yes. think Maybe the hype's around her because she's fairly new. I've seen I've seen her in Agents of Shield. I've seen her in a few in a few TV shows and bits, but not really anywhere. So she's kind of the breakout performance. But I think Joel Edgerton's performance is just as good, mm. and I don't believe he is nominated. Mm. Um, 
but the 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 chemistry between the two of those the two of the two lead characters is fantastic. I think both performances are really nicely understated, where it doesn't it doesn't overpower you with emotion. Yeah, I, I want to get into this because I want your take on it. I I think I had a little problem with the Joel Edgerton performance, and and I'm not sure if I can exactly put my foot on it uh, on my finger on it. Sorry, but I'll try. Um, I felt like. At times, you said wonderfully uh, understated. understated, right? Which, in, in a lot of the filmmaking, I would agree with. I think in his performance, it sometimes goes too far to the point where uh, it's very difficult to penetrate m into much about this character because you can see that the that the love between these two mm. people exists in sort of small moments, closely observed moments. The moment where they recreate the photo that was taken when they're on the sofa watching t t TV together and the uh, journalist yeah. there, fantastic. But there were times where it seemed like, you know, did he get hit in the head? Like, why is he giving so little in this performance? It seems like there are moments, and I don't want a big, you know, show-stopping, Oscar-baiting mm. speech up to, a, you know, 11. I did feel like sometimes the emotion was so deeply buried within him that it was hard to make a connection with the character. I mean, is, is that something you felt can, at all? I can see your point in, in terms of it is a performance like that, but I think for me... It, for me, it need a film like this needed a performance like that um, to stop it drifting into melodrama. Mm. Um, and yeah, I know where you're coming from. He wasn't necessarily an easy guy to relate to, but I kind of just felt it kind of showed him as like a shy, kind of socially awkward guy who ultimately didn't really want the limelight. And although did love his wife, you know, kind of it, it settled for the way things were, although wasn't happy about it. Mm. Um, it worked for me. Yeah, and, and maybe also should mention that this is set against Ruth Negger's performance, which is so um, luminous, I think. She does yeah. so much. And, and to be fair, I mean, the Oscar thing is, is really neither here nor, here nor there, but I would say if I had to pick the stronger performance of the two, it is Ruth Negger's. But like you've said, perhaps it is that he's got that exactly right to be a foil for the kind of mm. character that she is, right? And create yeah. a, a better dynamic between the two of them. This being a Jeff Nichols film, did you have the same feeling as me, Paul? It was that, that nagging feeling like, okay, I'm enjoying the stuff on screen, but where is Michael Shannon? Yes, honestly, every time, every time a new character was mentioned, I was like, in a minute, this is going to be Michael Shannon. I was watching with a girlfriend, I was like, this, 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 the lawyer, that would be Michael Shannon. This person, that would be Michael Shannon. This person, that would be Michael Shannon. Fear not, listeners, at one point of the film, we won't say when, Michael Shannon does arrive. Yes, he does. He shows up and he's good. He doesn't get so much to do in, in this film, but he, he's really, really good, as you would expect. Um, there's another character question to ask here, Paul, which is the casting of Nick Kroll, which comes close, maybe it's unfair, but sort of seems to come close to sort of stunt casting or, or at least quite jarring casting for me. And I'm not sure how that thing's come about. Nick Kroll is a, has the Kroll show and is a SNL luminary and a and a comedy actor from the United States. Uh, he was on the show The League, uh, which I think that's where I recognise him from. I didn't. I wasn't aware of his SNL background in fairness, but got I'm not. got into. But yeah, Nick Kroll is not a comedy actor that I that I get along with too well. Um, he plays here a, a sort of upstart lawyer who sees the chance to take a case to the Supreme Court and maybe make a name for himself and also do something right. I felt this performance was very strange. I would rather have seen the lawyer character played by Michael Shannon. <laughs> right. But in yeah. fairness, I, I kind of thought maybe that would be... Uh, genuinely, I think Michael Shannon would have been a great guy to play the lawyer. Michael Shannon would be a great guy to play anyone. Yeah. But I, I, I think this guy was a little bit miscast. I didn't... I, he didn't feel me... Considering he's supposed to be taking uh, like a groundbreaking civil rights court to this case to the Supreme Court, 
he didn't strike me, he didn't fill me with confidence that, uh, that he was a capable yeah, enough lawyer to get that done. But, it, but it's funny because I think that the role demands that the guy seems like he has a certain level of naivety because he's doing something where, you know, some of the lines are played almost for comic effect mm. where it's like, I'm out of my depth, I don't really know what I'm yeah. doing. And he sort of does that with his face. I just think his acting was at a level where it came awkwardly close in those moments to seeming like he was sort of being like goofy. And I yeah. don't think we wanted Goofy in this. I think we wanted, yeah, a guy slightly out of his depth, struggling to, to prove himself. And I think Nick Kroll couldn't quite handle that. But I mean, you know, maybe I'm alone. Maybe other people like the performance more than me and, you know, get back to that uh, us on, on that issue, I suppose. I think uh, overall, though, I did I did like the film. There's, there's a lot to like here. Um, what, mm. what did you make of it? What, what did you come up with? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm basically with you when you said, you know, it's, it's wonderfully understated. And, you know, I, I said in, in terms of Joel Edgerton, maybe I, I move off that a little but the film as a whole I think is a great way to sum it up um, the understatement allows you to sit with these characters in in a very sort of real non-artificially heightened way and live through events even if at times living through those events seems to drag mm. it almost is appropriate that it drags because for these people it dragged on and on and on and the idea that this is 1958 and we're but 60 years removed it's pretty terrifying is unbelievable yeah. yeah I mean there are moments in this where you know if you watch it with someone else you'll be turning around just to look at them in disbelief like th this is actual history this is actual mm. history from not very long ago that people can be pu pulled apart from the people that they love most dearly because of the colour of their skin is, is absolutely unbelievable and I'm, you know, I'm really glad that we've had some of these entries into the film canon recently that have told these stories, whether it's Hidden Figures or, or Loving or, mm. or on and on from there, really. Um, because, to an extent, Moonlight, I suppose. Abs absolutely, absolutely. Because I think that these are things that we can all say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm keyed into to the history of um, whether here it's anti-miscegenation, I think is the, the laws in place, or um, segregation that we mm. saw in hid Hidden Figures and so on. We're, we're all keyed into that stuff, but until you really see people on screen having to live through that reality, it's hard to put yourself anywhere near that yeah. place. Um, and I think Loving, for the most part, does a really good job of, of doing that. And, and, you know, when you're with your loved one and you think, if I was given this choice, oh, you've got to leave the place where you live, maybe your family are based, for 25 years. But the alternative to that is going to prison or separating from the person yeah. that you're in love with, married to, whatever, dating at that time. Um, and also there are kids involved in, in this mm. family as well, so it's an extra sort of wrench on, on the heartstrings, I think. So, um, yeah, I think, to summarise, Ruth Negger deserves a, a lot of praise coming out. I think Jeff Nichols is... Yeah, proving himself to be a very, very strong filmmaker at almost yeah. every direction. Consistently you, strong filmmaker. Yeah, and and across the map as well. I mean, the difference yeah. between this and Midnight Special in terms of. I think that's what's quite nice to see is they're, they're completely different pieces. They're completely different films. In fact, it wasn't until I. It, there's no way I would have even chanced that Loving would have even chanced Loving as a Jeff Nichols film when I first saw the trailers. I thought that's quite good. I didn't. I didn't really pay much attention to who the director was, and it wasn't until I think we had a chat that I realised it was Jeff Nichols. So that gives you some indication of. Of where he's kind of playing around with genres, bouncing around to different genres a bit, which is great. So, mm. yeah, a lot to like on that. I think a lot to like. I suppose we had in in Mud. There was a couple who were separated in Mud. It's a very yeah. different relationship. But there's there's themes that you could pick out through mm. Jeff Nichols' films. But yeah, he's going like I say all over the place in terms of the the place he's setting his films mm. and the kind of characters that he's yeah. bringing to life in those films. So we look forward to more from Jeff Nichols. And, yes. um, yeah, had a had a good time with that one. Which brings us to something that I'm very excited to talk about, and is certainly is definitely 
in my opinion, absolutely wonderful, but in no way is it understated. Uh, and that brings us to our second feature review of the week, which is John Wick Chapter 2. Um, before I gush excitedly all over the place, uh, sorry, that was a horrible, <laughs> horrible, do horrible phrase. Um, Pete, give us your thoughts on John Wick 2. Uh, well, I'll set up John Wick 2, I think, and then I'll let you start <laughs> gushing. Uh, the tagline for this one, uh, we all, uh, most of us, I think, caught up with John Wick. It was out in 2014. 2014, so th- yeah. Two, three years ago. It took me a while to catch up with the first one, in fairness, but I did eventually. Um, John Wick, the first one, I thought was a, a pretty workable um, action film with a nice setup, you know, when you've got a man with his dog, his dog's killed by some bad guys, he's not happy about it, he wants to get revenge to the extent that he's going to kill absolutely everyone, we can all have uh, good fun with that, in uh, John Wick Chapter 2, that's really taken to a, a whole new level, I think, <laughs> uh, the tagline here is, never stab the devil in the back, the devil of course is Baba Yeager, John Boyega, the, the ba- bad the man, Baba the Baba Duke, yeah, uh, Keanu, Keanu, basically. Uh, don't stab him in the back because, um, yeah, he will. John Boyega. John Boyega. That's what, came to, that's what came to my John mind. John Boyega. Well, okay, John Boyega's not in this film, guys. Neither is the Babadook. As it no, happens, but I just but, thought, you know. But you can see how animated it's getting us already, so. When, when he gets angry, he becomes yeah. John Boyega. <laughs> The boogeyman. Uh, yeah, he is forced out of retirement, our boy John Wick, uh, by a former associate looking to seize control of a shadowy international assassin's guild, ra- uh, bound by a blood oath to aid him. So there's this whole thing where he's taken a blood oath. There's a load of machinations where basically if you are supposed to kill someone, you have to do it, otherwise you die, and then there's passed on and on and on. But none of that really matters. No, but it is cool though, isn't it? It is quite cool, <laughs> but it is all an excuse for John Wick to shoot people in the face. Um, we get a lot of that done in some of the most spectacular ways you might have seen since something like The Raid. Get get going, Paul, because I think that I need your energy right, so to then bring me on to this one. The first John Wick, I kind of went to see it and thought, yes, that was decent. People, people have been raving on about it and comparing it to The Raid as an example. And I thought, yeah, it's good, but it's not quite there. Um, but I did really enjoy it. So what's lovely to see about John Wick 2 is much like they've let the character of John Wick off the leash, to see a director make a film that by his own admission he did not expect to even be able to make John Wick 1, which I think he's come out and said this week. So for that to be successful and then for him to be allowed to go, okay, you did well with John Wick 1, now have a bigger budget and this film is absolutely your playground. And it's absolutely batshit mental from start to finish. And I absolutely loved every second of it. There is the body count is probably the highest I've seen in a while. For me, it does come close to the chaos of the raid, a lot closer than the first one does. Keanu Reeves is on top form. Everyone is having a lot of fun. Ian McShane's reprising his role as kind of this this head of the Continental. Uh, Lance Reddick's there, one of my favourite, one of my favourite kind of that guy actors. It was in obviously most famously probably in The Wire. Um, who else turns up? Uh, in this? Common. Common is the guy who, who battles out. Common's very cool in it. There's, um, there's, there's one, one of the best things in this film, I think, is uh, there's a gunfight that is, let's say, the most nonchalant gunfight that you'll ever see, <laughs> where where John Wick, yes. uh, John Wick and uh, the character played by Common, uh, I forget his, his character's name, uh, they have to walk down opposite sides of a, a passageway on on yeah. di- I think it's in a subway maybe on different levels kind of pretending not to shoot each pretending, other pretending yeah pretending they've got no issue with each other yeah. whilst taking pot shots with silenced weapons um yeah terrific stuff uh we, who do we miss out oh Lawrence Fishburne you mentioned yeah Lawrence Fishburne a little bit of I said we mentioned in there when we were talking about the the, the trailer Carrie Moss isn't in it which I'm sure I stated was in the trailer which is unfortunate but Lawrence Fishburne kind of 
County Regional Reunion. It's just it's just yeah. so much fun. Well, and let's talk about a couple of these specifics because we have the County Reeves Lawrence Fishburne thing, and then we have the inversion of the red blue, uh, the red pill blue pill conversation because we have yes, uh, we Lawrence Fishburne explaining that he was offered a choice by the John Wick character, and for people who were like. Uh, clued into this stuff that was very it's cool. very exciting when yeah. this sort of sort of things happen also uh, Ruby Rose is in this who was in I, you haven't caught up with it and don't worry about that but the Xander Cage triple X movie recently uh, okay but I think she is going to do quite big things she's the well the badass young woman in it you know the one I mean with the sort of a, yeah. asymmetrical hair Peter Stormare turns up right at the beginning as just having again just everyone's having so much fun oh it. Peter Serafinovitz did you mention that Peter Serafinovitz well? his role's awesome yeah, yeah he just, plays the sommelier who doesn't provide any wine and yes, provides weapons that just provides lots and lots and lots of guns um, it is incredibly violent it is very gory in places uh, he knows exactly what it is and for me uh, genuinely um, up, up there with Jackie for an early contender to be on my films of the year list that's how much I like it mm. how much did you like it um, I think I'm enthusiastic, not as enthusiastic as you, but only because of a couple of things. Well, my Facebook profile picture should indicate how enthusiastic <laughs> pretty, I am about it's this. It's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> um, yeah, just a couple of things. I think that um, with any film like this, and maybe, I don't know, there are a lot of allusions to other filmmakers. There's like the John Woo stuff with the birds, yeah. and there's the Matrix stuff, and there's this yeah. and that. And I appreciate those things. But I think that maybe, and disagree with me and put me put me right, Paul, but... This thing runs fully two hours. I don't think it needed to. I think it could have been an hour and a half, maybe a little more, and that would have been a fantastic slice of just like you know hyper kinetic. See, gunplay. for me, I, it didn't. It didn't feel like two hours for me. It felt like an hour and a half. For it me, only it just, started it, to towards the end. I think for, mm. for myself. I mean, it just started to feel like it, the more gunplay that we have maybe the power for me is being diminished a little bit where I'm starting to think, okay, I, I get it. Um, bring it to an end and I'll go out of here dazzled. If you don't, then I'll, yeah. I, I came out of it maybe less blown away than I felt at about the halfway mark. Okay, I think that's a fair comment. I disagree with it, but I say it's a fair <laughs> comment. Um, yeah, just to me, and you, you, you say about the influences it wears on its sleeve and just to hark back to something I said earlier about the kind of East-West mashup that the Great Wall could have been. This, I think, is a great example of how to mesh kind of um, Eastern action cinema and Hollywood action cinema. And I think with the, you know, a lot of the, the, the martial arts and stuff on display here, I think it works well. And I, yeah. Martial arts on display, you say, Paul. Yeah, no, that was something I did appreciate. Um, the, one of the best ways you can sum up the John Wick character is the fact that at one point in the film, and you'll remember this part, he gets a, a foe into a triangle choke, uh, yes. a, a move popularised by <laughs> MMA fighters. Yeah. Gets him a triangle choke, but then because he's John Wick, he shoots him in the face anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's like, fine. And I appreciate little details. Like, there's a there's a, a bit where he gets arm barred and you hear the cracks in his arm yeah. before he gets out of that position. So there is, because the director comes from a stunt background, yeah, yeah any slight criticism and it is very slight that I'd level at this film none of it can be about the way action's presented because no. God knows we've seen some awful awful um, action presentation in recent years where everything is choppy and cut and yeah. shaky and badly lit whereas in this thing you really feel inside that action yeah. and you hit, you feel the gunshots and you feel all of the you know impact that a film like this should have so from that point of view a, a massive massive triumph and you know long may it continue and I think John Wick 3 is almost certainly on yes. the way because this thing has, has done well and I can't wait yeah a couple, couple of years Paul <laughs> before you get to what was the expression that you used uh, 
explode all over the place or something like gush that. Gush, 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 yeah, gush yeah. all over the place, yes. Yeah. So yes. two years, listeners, and then Paul will start gushing again about <laughs> this, this here topic. Enough, enough gushing. Let's bring us to credits. Well, in fact, let's say enough gushing. We're going to pay credit to things now, aren't we, Pete? Yes, we are. And I think you need to start because I can't remember what the hell it is I'm going to give credit to. Okay, well, I'm going to give credit to something that I think you'll find quite controversial because I know, I know that you hate this shop. So I'm going to give credit to a shop. I will hasten to add, I'm not paid by them, I'm not endorsed by them, this is not an advertising feature. Um, I'm going to give credit to my random and frequent visit to CEX, which is the uh, essentially um, pawn shop, I think, for want, for want of a better term for it. Yeah, P-A-W-N. Um, yes, right? P-A-W-N, yes, yes. Um, now, I'm not going to talk like not about their phones, about not about that kind, not about that side of the business. Because I am quite into my Blu-rays, quite into my films. I love going in there, and you never know what stock's going to be in there. It's quite exciting to go in there, and you can find yourself a bargain for. You can find yourself with like coming out with a haul of great films for a tenner or for like twenty quid. Um, and I love this feeling. I do. I do have this theory that in Cheltenham, I do have what's called what I have described as a CEX nemesis, though. Right. Do you know what that a CX nemesis would the, be? This, I think, uh, well, you've certainly mentioned this character before. <laughs> some once, some yeah. shadowy geek overlord <laughs> who sneaks in there. Who sneaks in and buys the steelbooks just before I get there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's probably got lookouts outside the shop. Yeah, masquerading I think he his, has. His youth um, or something like that. But no, so like, to, to, to talk a bit more about this CX nemesis, I'll, I'll look, you can you can look for something online, you go, oh, it's in Cheltenham. And then I'll go down to, walk down to CX. I live in town, so it's not far to go. And then someone's got there first. But no, I, I, the reason I the reason I love going in there, the stock's always changing. You can get some quite cheap box sets, or very cheap box sets, in fact. The other day, for example, I got a gold steelbook of Fritz Lang's Metropolis that I believe is out of print and fetches up to fifty or sixty pounds on Amazon. Walked in there, it was eighteen pounds. Mm. So I quite like that. Um, whatever their business practices are, whatever price they pay you for tech and that kind of thing, that's kind of irrelevant to why I'm giving them credit. Yeah. Um, I just well, enjoy I think, walking Paul, in and not knowing what stock's in. My protest here would be that, well, one, this is the most uh, UK-centred uh, endorsement you've ever given. <laughs> but apart from that, my <laughs> thing would be that you, you don't really need to give credit to CEX per se. I think you're you're really giving credit to whoever are these people who have these, fant- like you say, a Fritz Lang box set and take it in and trade Fritz it in Lang there. Still, yeah, because yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to try and put this in politically correct terms, but most of the people who go in there, absolute scumbags, <laughs> scumbags, Paul. And and so you managed to go in, and you've obviously got a good nose for it better than me because I pick up bits here and there, but I think you do a lot a lot better. But yeah, some people somewhere are the the lifeblood of that place who are providing the kind of stuff. That I tell you, you what, want. if you are if you are missing certain sort of classic films or world cinema or that kind of thing, go into a CEX in a town that has film study students. Now Cheltenham has film study students because yeah, that'll help. I was one. Um, and about once a year, there is a decent selection of world cinema in there. We've obviously students have watched films and traded them in. But anyway, so that's that's my that's my credit for this week. Um, what's your credits, Pete? Who, um, who would you like to pay credit to? Well, I'd like to give credit really to um, possibly you, the listener, right now. Um, oh, I thought you were talking about me for a second. I got excited. Oh, and you, Paul. Actually, okay, you're included you. in this. Okay, I'd like to good. give credit to you. Basically, this week I want to give credit to everybody who goes to a screening of something at the cinema, sits down, and just shuts the hell up from the beginning of the film until the end of the film, because. For example, maybe one of the reasons why I was less glowing about John Wick uh, Chapter 2, Paul, is because I have an entire row of people behind me in the screening 
who talked intermittently throughout the entire running time of the, the movie. I've made, in my mind, a very clear distinction. If you whisper something to someone in the cinema, maybe one time, we could go with that, I think, Paul, one, one time. Yeah, maybe one time. Maybe one time. You're okay. If you talk at regular speaking volume to another person, you are an un unforgivably big shithead. And you don't deserve you don't deserve to be allowed to go and see films or have nice things because you ruin it for other people. And it to me it shows an indelible character flaw that I would never ever forgive you if we met in real life. So don't talk in the cinema. And if you don't do it, which I think is ninety nine percent of all you good people, probably a hundred percent of people listening to this, um, then you're fantastic and pat yourself on the back because you deserve all the credit in the world because people go to films to watch films, not listen to you or anyone talk to somebody else, less so go on their phone or iPad, which I've seen in the cinema iPad, well, wow. in the past. Yeah, full brightness iPad. That'll make you're not going to get any argument from me, to be honest, um, on that one. It's a shame we do need to pay credit to people because it is something that's happening more and more often in the cinema. Yeah, and next um, week I, I, I will be more positive than paying credit and then just slamming a load of people. Paying credit to people who, you know, act like human beings. Yeah, but, you know, well, but it's well good done to do you. that. In this, in this day and age, in the, the times, the troubling times that we're in, Paul, I think you've got to give credit to people for being good human beings. Okay, which brings us to the end of the show for this week um, yes, but we does. did say we did introduce a new feature yeah I mean before um, we, we get quite to it I just want to mention um, for anyone who doesn't know we've got a Facebook page Stranger Cinema we've got a Twitter it's uh, at Stranger Cinema we've got an Instagram blah 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 you know the name of the show punch that into whatever little bit of technology that you use and you will find us there we're also available on iTunes we're on Stitcher on SoundCloud um, great that's that bit done um, at the end of every show we're going to do a new thing that thing is that Paul, or myself, is going to say a line from a film, uh, it's going to sound cool, and you can figure out where it comes from, and maybe why we've included it. Uh, to sign us off for this week, Paul. So, are you ready for this? Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. See you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>